0: Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyberaid.it using the discount code podcast. Overseeing the technical aspects of privacy is a huge role for many CISOs, including Gerald Burchett of LogMeIn. Gerald discusses the importance of having a business continuity plan prepared and understanding company operations from employees working different hours across time zones. Throughout the episode, Gerald, Mike, and Jonathan talk about scaling up services for SaaS products, the importance of doubling down on security awareness and engagement with a completely remote workforce, and experiences working off hours around the world for 24-7 monitored work roles. Welcome, everyone to the Cyray podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ruin, VP of Engineering and Cso here at CyberAid. Uh Today's guest is Gerald Bruchette from LogMeIn, me in uh, and Jonathan Myers from uh, Cy, our head of infrastructure. Um,
1: Gerald, welcome. I'm always a pleasure to talk to you Mike, thank you th- so much for having me. This is uh, really quite an honor and I'm uh, looking forward to the chat. Cool. do you want to uh, introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about you? Oh my yeah, love to. Uh, <laughs> Doing do that all the time. Um, My name is Jared Bichelt. Uh, I am, like I said, the Chief Information Security Officer for LogMeIn. LogMeIn is like for those that don't know, it's a a software as a service company. We have roughly 20 major products, uh, among them names such as GoToMeeting, GoToWebinar, or LastPass, which are hopefully well known to uh, at least some in the audience. Within within that organization, I'm responsible and accountable for uh, everything related to security, uh, compliance, and uh, um, the technical aspects of privacy. So that uh, um, obviously our legal friends uh, lead that particular practice, but uh, we help them uh, implement this, and it's a great great collaboration there. And that really spans everything from product, through uh, corporate IT, through uh, outbound uh, messaging, um, and, and everything up and down. So it's, it's quite comprehensive. I got here like I was a, a CISO before, for a smaller company uh, named Demandware, which was acquired by Salesforce in 2016. It was a great ride as well. Uh, definitely been seeing a fast growth and uh, um, a rapid uh, um, expansion of a, of a team as well as our product. And before that, I was working in a couple of different companies. It was uh, at MITRE, um, which is a um, federally funded research and development center. So it's a little government centric. Uh, And before that, it was a long time ago at some microsystems in the good old days when uh, Solaris was still uh, the premier Unix on the planet. And um, things were happy and uh, sunshine and rosy.
0: I miss those days of Solaris being the the premier. That was definitely where I cut my teeth. Um, And Jonathan, uh, I don't know if you want to. Give a quick intro.
2: Yeah, I know nothing about Solaris. Um, way before <laughs> you my you were born after Solaris, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Mid 80s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Solaris had already come and gone, probably. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm the uh, principal infrastructure engineer at CyberAI. I do all the basically DevOps and then all production infrastructure, um, which includes defending from cyber attacks and all the kind of fun compliance stuff that kind of comes along with that um and yeah so been doing that for a couple years now before that was at a company called red outlet analytics with mike uh where we did some ueba insider threat software vendor stuff so
0: cool cool so yeah so i think um one of the things we sort of wanted to talk to you about was um you know, during COVID nineteen, uh, with the big shift of everybody working remote, and your organization, sort of how you handled um, that from both the scaling your own internal infrastructure because now there's suddenly so much more demand, and then also, you know, what the security implications of and um, were during that period, and, and sort of how you handled that. Sure, absolutely. We'll start it's off like, with some softballs, you know. <laughs>
1: good, good enough, dude. It's like <laughs> this is this is straightforward. It's like I mean, come on. Uh, LogMeIn is a remote work company. It's like we've been really uh, been this uh, since our inception in 2003 because it's like uh, the, the reason the company was actually founded was what, uh, one of the original founders was working on one side of Budapest. Uh, and The data center was on the other side of Budapest. And uh, you really didn't feel like uh, driving over at night every, every night at the 3 a.m. in the morning in order to uh, work on the servers and stuff. So I found a company called 3 a.m. Labs which was uh, ultimately a, a way for him to address getting to his servers at 3 a.m. in the morning and, and not having to uh, to drive around. So it's like this whole idea of remote work is really something that's been uh, pretty deeply ingrained in the, um, in the overall DNA of the uh, company, which uh, – you can see it's like as you go through through the portfolios that we have go to meeting go to webinar for like online collaboration re- enabling a remote work even in, in times where you cannot necessarily meet face to face we have other uh, products like help desk products uh, like rescue or, or go to assist that really help it uh, departments to service people's laptops even if they if they can't walk up to the uh, to the it station and then get stuff done so generally it's like this whole idea of remote work is something that that we have been um quite um quite uh, well understood at uh, at the company but obviously it's like when you when you uh, within literally hours uh, uh have to go from um the comp- uh, parts of the company maybe like thirty. 30 or 40% of the company working remotely or in the field, suddenly to 100% working in the field. That's a challenge. It's like, I, I don't believe that anyone was just going like, oh yeah, it's like, this is super easy. It's like nothing happened. So I was like, we, we had obviously some, some of those uh, to address some of those challenges. Fortunately, uh, we had prepared to some extent with uh, some um, business continuity uh, programs and frameworks. So we had a rough understanding about what we wanted to do, but Obviously, nobody knew exactly that this thing would happen. So, from that perspective, uh, it was it was definitely something where we uh, had to both rely on existing playbooks, but also improvise uh, as we were moving along. Internally, I would say it was really not that much of a, a significant change. Like I said before, this whole concept of working remotely, working uh, um, through through from from anywhere kind of concept is is part of like what we do at log me and so from that perspective it was um, yeah well it's like just drink our own champagne or eat your own dog food depending on uh, how old you are right so uh mm-hmm. it's like we're just going going down the path of uh, what we were saying all along is the is the right approach it worked pretty well it's like the company itself is really well set up from a, a software as a service perspective so a lot of our uh, internal services do not rely on some server sitting in some uh, some corner of an internal data center or IT cabinet or what have you. Instead, it's like we've been um, really living in uh, the, the SaaS model ourselves, which obviously made it a lot easier to deal with things like, say, VPNs, which I heard a couple of people may or may not have had some issues with. Or dealing with uh, uh, the the idea of leveraging identity uh, as as the true um, uh, uh, um, perimeter around around your assets instead of just relying on some form of a firewall, which uh, uh, is not really a good way of of doing this. So they work all quite well. I think some of the bigger challenges, to be honest with you, were in uh, in the context of scaling our services, which we were using internally, but suddenly everybody was using right uh, to to those kind of levels uh, that uh, that we we needed them to be at. And uh, um, obviously, it's like if you scale again, literally overnight, by one hundred, two hundred, three hundred, and more uh, percent, then um, you you do see uh, a couple of things. Maybe not working out quite so great. It's like, uh, and uh, I have uh, the highest respect for our operational teams and uh, also our, our product development folks who've been literally like identifying those things on the go and then been able to to truly go in and address these things on the fly. And I think this is this kind of a commitment to the product. Is one of the things that is required, but also the ability to to really uh, understand your own environment in a meaningful way, and then then drive forward. So this this insight into how how the architecture works and what's been happening is definitely been super helpful from that perspective.
0: Yeah, I got to imagine it's like uh, both your uh, great dream and worst nightmare, right? Like in terms of like suddenly you're you're 10x what you were yesterday, or whatever it is, because there's just so much more demand for for your products, um, but then. It's overnight success type, oh, you know, not that you guys have been around for a while and that you're, you know, mm-hmm. you understand what I mean. Like it's all of a sudden, there's just a huge demand. Um, so I got to imagine that that had its own challenges. I know for us um, on the IT side and the security side, like all that, we're very similar in that there's nothing really here. So that transition was easy. And I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day about, but where the challenge really was, uh, was more on the business side, more on the the cultural change shifts that had to occur by us not all being in the office at the same time, or um, communication patterns having to change or adjust, and, and that was really where the challenges were. We were already kind of set up for um, being 100% remote from a from an IT computer systems perspective, and, and I think Jonathan uh, take take a lot of credit for that. We've done uh, he's done a phenomenal job in,
1: in getting us set up that way. Yes, I think you, you just brought up something that that I uh, um, that was really important for us as we were transitioning from the uh, normal kind of like um, hybrid office environments into into remote uh, remote work only. Um, what was important to me from a security perspective is that we really doubled down on our security awareness and engagement uh, function because at the end of the day, it's like if you have uh, if, if 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 you think about it, it's like in a large office, people tend to rely on. Shouting over the hallway, and say, "Hey, it's like I got this kind of weird email. Is that okay, or is that mm-hmm. is, is that not so good?" So I was like, those kind of uh, interactions suddenly were, were gone. I mean, we obviously have internal instant uh, uh, instant messaging kind of uh, tools that allow us to to do this online, but it's not the same quality of of interaction. It's, it's like you feels like, oh, "Do I should I really shoot this message over to someone, or it like, is like maybe I'm disrupting them?" It was like, I don't know. So, right. um, so I just click. It's like, it's fine. It's going to be fine anyways. So really raising that right level of awareness, uh, across the board, making sure that people do understand what it is that, uh, um, that, that, that we're facing. And then it's like looking at uh, a lot of the, uh, early on social engineering, uh, particularly fishing, um, uh, lures that were suddenly, and that, that was something that I found to be very interesting. It's like, suddenly it's like pretty much everything else was going away. I mean, mm-hmm. sure. It's like, Still have the prince from Nigeria, but it's like, uh, but it's like, it's, it's like, most of the other ones is like just went away, and it was as right. like, oh no, COVID, 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 COVID. So, so it's like it was interesting to see how how quickly the uh, serial, uh actors have been uh, adopting to um, the, the what I call the, the clickbait desure. Um, which was just like something that was uh, that everybody was craving to get more information about and then leveraging that in order to push ransomware, to push malware, or to push other kind of uh, um, credential phishing activities. Yeah,
0: actually, it's funny that you mentioned the whole, um, it didn't even occur to me uh, while we were out. So we've returned to the office to a certain extent. Not not everybody. Um, it's about 20 people in an 80-person office, so we got plenty of space to move mm-hmm. around. But didn't even occur to me um, how much I was missing out on people just stopping by my office and showing me their laptop like, Hey, I got this email. It it, it seems weird, right? Like uh, they know enough not to just forward it to me. Um, uh, but how do you, you know, and a couple people slacked me, Hey, I got this weird email and it was like a screenshot. But for the most part, I got to imagine that um, that number, the the instances went way down of people coming and asking me like, or telling me or asking me like, Hey, what should I do with this? Went way down. At the same time, the number of emails they were probably phishing emails they were probably receiving was actually increasing. Um, and it wasn't until I was back in the office and somebody popped in and we're like, Hey, showing me their laptop. I was like, Hmm, I did miss this a little bit and um, I'm glad that this is happening again. But at the same time, what was yeah, going we, on while we were all working from home?
1: <laughs> yeah, That totally makes sense. It's like, I completely agree. And it's a, uh... It's it'll be interesting for us because like we have uh, now extended our uh, work from home program till uh, till the end of the year. So from that perspective, it'll it'll take some time before we fully engage uh, through mm. the office again. But I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting uh, situation in terms of like coming back. And um, I'm not sure that everybody will be coming back because it's like looking at uh, some of the uh, um, expressed desire with regards to like do you want to work fully remote, fully in the office, or something in between. I think. A lot of people are enjoying the idea of something in between that allows them the flexibility to see uh, friends at the office, see, um, socialize where, where, where it makes sense. But then at the same time, also uh, being able to have the flexibility in a work, work from home kind of uh, schedule and environment, which for many people, not all of them, let's be honest here, but for many people makes them more productive. Right. There's some people,
0: right. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're going to see at least for cyber. There's definitely a sub a set of people here who are going to be more productive um, working from home or continue to be more productive working from home and others um, who really are more productive from being in the office. That's why we actually brought our sale. That's why the people who are back in, we have our sales team back in. Um, They're very collaborative. There's this like um, really good energy that they have from being around each other, very supportive. And it's, it's competitive but like competitive in like um in a team perspective like everybody yeah. has their own stats but everybody's also happy if you hit 350 right like or 400 you know whatever it's all um because it's not a zero sum game no absolutely right so there's all of this camaraderie that happens and we've seen the impact you know we saw the impact of some numbers going down when they were working from home and then we brought them back in and we're seeing those numbers go in the opposite direction so it'll definitely be um at least a, a, a uh, people HR challenge to sort of go through the like, who should be working from home? What exactly are our policies? You know, and as long as people are being productive and getting
2: things done, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, especially yeah, being I mean, in like DC, right? Because like a lot of our people that live on the other side of DC, you know, we spending an hour, hour and a half commuting. I mean, DC yeah. is
0: the wor- right, DC has the worst traffic. It's been, it's like yeah. we've uh, we're number one in the nation, I think, for the last few years running. Um a Boston,
1: uh, right? I mean it's like I'm just asking because it's like I mean you had at least highways that have like four or five lanes. Like we have know, but
0: highways there's
2: that stu-
1: have- well that's like, true. There's,
0: th- Right, I know. And then there's right, but there's studies that show it's it's Washington and then Baltimore. And then like Boston, L.A., I can't remember what the other ones are, but there's a lot of lost productivity in the D.C. area because of the way the way the whole city is. And you have two states and uh, then a third municipality that isn't part of either of those states. So getting those three to sort of work together, like uh, no. I, it, it's a nightmare. There's actually a bridge to nowhere where like part of like Maryland committed to doing a thing with Virginia. And Virginia started building it and built it and there was supposed to be a bridge. And then Maryland's like, ah, never mind. So now there's just, you know, there's just a road that <laughs> That's ends. Nowhere. That's as awesome. opposed to a bridge. Right. It's a road to nowhere as opposed to a bridge nowhere. So um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely are seeing like I have an engineer that lives um pretty far away. And yeah, does he want to spend two and a half hours in a car or does he want to be able to get more done from home? Um, mm-hmm. even me getting in, uh, I don't live that far from the office, and it can be half an hour 45 minutes during you know normal normal time so yeah i think that that's going to be an interesting thing um that we'll see. um you know just commutes and and who knows maybe with um more people working from home maybe my commute will get better um and so
1: it'll be easier and more people can come in we'll see (laughs) we'll see indeed like i'm i'm not super uh, i'm not super um a high degree of urgency to to back to the office on a regular basis it's like going it's like I said it's like going occasionally I think that's gonna be a lot of fun um but it's like uh, I mean literally it's like missing out on uh, two and a half to three hours of uh, commuting every day um that alone just like increases productivity for me personally quite a bit, yeah definitely um
0: so yeah, I think um it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm curious, you, you sort of brought up a point earlier, we've sort of gone pretty far from, but um, in terms of the operational, like what you saw once this was all happening and you saw this big um, surge and you were mentioning like the dedication of your team to, to as this all scaled up, I'm curious what, um, are there any like stories or anything that you can share from, the, from that experience or any, you know, any big surprises or, or anything along those lines, either positive or negative?
1: Right, right. I think one of the things that uh, um, was was underappreciated at the beginning um, that um, I kind of like that we didn't really foresee right from the from the get go, but should have kind of like foreseen. And so it was like uh, um, um, interesting from that from that from that angle was effectively the impact that um, the the whole lockdown situation has for uh, for folks that are working in uh, um, literally in night shifts. Right, so mm. it's like evening shifts or night shifts. So it's like we have a twenty-four-seven security operations center. So from that perspective, that team is uh, literally all um, in uh, one place, which is a, some backup location if need be. But it's like uh, generally, it's like we're we're driving this from 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 one particular place, and it's it's tough enough to do night shifts. It's like I I'm, I have a high 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 degree of respect for anyone who does that. I, I did this for what, it was like three years or so, mm. uh, and I. I know how how uh, fun and interesting uh, night shifts can be. It's like not, um, but it's it's one thing to uh, spend a night shift with uh, with with a colleague uh, in a, in a situation where you can work with each other. It's like uh, maybe maybe take take a little bit of time off in between. It's like maybe maybe do find a, find a reasonable way in terms of like keep yourselves entertained. But it's right. totally different if you're sitting all by yourselves uh, in your in your living room or in your bedroom, maybe in a shared uh, kind of a, a, a apartment or so. So like just trying to stay awake all night long, not seeing anybody during the day, because guess what? That's when you're sleeping. Um, right. and, and on top of that, being locked down. So you really don't have any kind of choice to, to uh, ever meet anyone. So um, so that's that's tough. It's like I think. A lot of the folks that have been working those last couple of months in those types of situations, they're truly my unsung heroes because they're keeping systems alive. They're keeping uh, um, in, in network operations centers. They're, they're keeping systems safe in security operations centers. And uh, I think making sure that you have a, a plan in terms of like how to engage, stay stay in touch, and stay engaged with those folks over an extended period of time. Is really really critical, and it's like I have a very high degree of respect for, for, for my leadership team there, who who really stepped up and said like I said like, yeah we want to organize some, so in, in different time zones like afternoon coffee which is like a two o'clock at night kind of a, a event for the, for the for the other guys so it's like really um, make sure that they stay awake and stay alert and stay mm-hmm. feel still and, and the time, and I think that's that's something that has been really uh, forgotten over over all the responses that we've seen to uh, to what was happening in the world. That uh, there's there's still a strong need for social interaction, uh, that especially in those kind of roles, but for all roles, but it's like especially for those kind of roles. And it's like if we do not uh, take take this into consideration, I think the the impact that that can have on the mental health and ultimately the the, the physical health of people. Is uh, absolutely enormous, and it's like um, and does not necessarily really balance well with uh, some of the other things that we've done.
0: Do you think though, like that what we've gone through and with people being able to work remote? So Jonathan uh, is uh, travels; uh, he's in Hawaii right now. During when COVID first was happening, he was in Europe and then Singapore. So from our perspective, he's working a night shift during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, do you think with everything that's happening, it's actually going to make that sort of globalization so much easier? Where um, and maybe I'm feeding you the answer I'm looking for. I don't know, um, but that it'll be easier moving forward to have sort of night shift, but not necessarily while well, it's their night. Just it's just twelve hours off. It's happening in London or it's happening in Singapore or wherever um, overnight.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like we're, we're doing. We're, we're trying to do a follow the sun models like uh, like where we can't, right? But it's like mm-hmm. for, for operational centers, where you sometimes also really want to build some some local expertise and not everyone is like knows everything about everything. Right. So it's, just, you, you, it's, it's, it's always good. See, Jonathan, them. I told you not everybody knows everything about everything. And, you know, <laughs> maybe some people do, but it's like, uh, <laughs> so it's like, uh, I'm just assuming that a lot of people don't No, but it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's on the one side, it's like, if you're large enough, it's like if you have a large enough organization to really do a follow to some kind of a model with small teams, Say I don't know in Sydney and in, in Europe and it's like on the west coast or something like that. Then sure, that's awesome. That's that's absolutely ideal. It's like I uh, uh, I I really I really like this from a number of different perspectives. Uh, but not necessarily everybody can right. So it's like if you can't do do it like that, then you have to rely on on long sh- on long uh, shifts or or night shifts or evening shifts or what, whatever. So so I think it's um it, it it's going to stay challenging. Um, as far as the state of globalization goes, it's like everything that I'm seeing right now is like points exactly in the wrong direction. It's like <laughs> well, that's it, true too. <laughs> taxes, terrorists. I mean, it's like, it's, uh, it's don't get me started by the insanity, but it's like, uh, um, hopefully it's like people are going to realize that, uh, soon rather sooner than later, it's like they're, they're working together and it's like tearing down, uh, all those kind of like, uh, borders and terrorists and whatnot. Um, is really going to uh, ultimately make our ability to respond to to nasty things much better. Mm.
2: Yeah. So uh, I was in Bali in like September, October of last year. And it was interesting because there was like a growing group of like cybersecurity guys that basically oh. worked for like outsourced cybersecurity companies or whatever. So they would be the cyber sock for like companies is like what they did. And a bunch of people were California based and then they got moved on to night shift. And so they were like, well, I don't want to work night shifts. So they literally packed their bags and just moved to Bali and then would just operate normal hours out of Bali uh, during the day. So they still got like interaction at night and they were still able to like do all the normal things um, and then save a bunch of money in the process. Um <laughs>
0: Do and they so also wonder, get like night shift pay?
2: Like, were they also getting paid extra for working night shift? No, no, they working night shift. Pay. <laughs> well, so. But I mean, like, Ollie <laughs> basically doubled your money, right? Moving from California, like, right, right, right. So, right.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that's not shabby.
2: <laughs> so I wonder if that's gonna, especially now that all these things, everybody lets everybody be remote, um, and so I'm wondering. I don't know, if, like cybersecurity, right? Because there is power and. You know, having like groups working together in like a sock or a knock or anything like that, like you just have that that ability to like cope with problems as they happen that much faster, as opposed to a fully remote situation, right? Because nobody wants to be like dialed into like a like a virtual meeting, you know, for their entire shift and like interact. Right. Like nobody wants that. Like, yep. um, and so I wonder if like we'll start to see that spread to other probably sectors first. Right. Like salespeople that like don't want to work or, you know, that need to sell to Asia, but they're a U.S.-based company. I think that that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, oh no. Yeah, actually, see think, too.
1: yeah, no, I feel we, we, we did a little bit of that in the in the early 2000s when uh, I mean, it's like I remember that that was the time when I was at Sun. Uh, it's like when when uh, the commute there was starting to get like so out of hand that people were just like essentially barely in the office. And it's like then the company started, say, oh, yeah, why don't you work from home? And I think it worked great for, like I said, like, it worked great for some people. It's not so great for other people. And it's horrible for, 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 for some people, both from what they like and how productive they ultimately uh, are. And so I think what we're hopefully going to see is just a... Um, a, a much higher degree of flexibility across the entire spectrum. So it's like I really want to, would love to be in a, in a position where it's like myself for myself, but for also for my team as a leader, have the ability to really shift shift stuff uh, left and right, up and down, uh, as as it is appropriate for for the for the individuals, but also for the kind of work. And it's like then really find the right kind of balance and say, hey, do we want to have a couple of smaller teams like here? It's like do we want to have uh, uh, like more flexibility, by it's like uh, allowing uh, people to be totally remote for that kind of thing. And we, to some extent we're doing this already. So it's like, if I'm looking at uh, say uh, some of our uh, threat folks or threat threat of vulnerability folks, um, they're pretty much remote. It's like, I don't care where they are. It's like, they, they are super productive. They're great, great people. And they engage extremely well um, with, the, uh, with the rest of the, uh, uh, the team and, and, and the outside. And from that perspective, it's like you know what, it's, it's great. It's like so they're 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 in a, in a good position. Others like I mean, it's like where especially it's like if you are starting to also think about somewhat more junior employees that really want to learn from more senior employees, a learning experience is always better if it's face to face. It's like nobody can tell me that you can replicate everything through a phone line or a Slack channel or well, not just or, that. You know,
0: I, I think it's with the especially on the more junior side, right? Like knowing when you can interrupt someone. It's when you're all remote and you're a junior person and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be a pest. You don't want to bother people. Um so, you know, you send them the Slack or whatever and however you're going to communicate, but you still are very hesitant to do that. Whereas when you're in the office, you can sort of look up and you can sort of say, oh, hey, you you know, I can tell that's up, you know, their headphones aren't on or their headphones are on. And therefore they're, you know, that means do not disturb. So I think there's a little bit of that. I also think while For fully remote, that's a possibility, but I think more places are just going to have that sort of flexible... We still want people to come in and interact because there's value in that. Um, So the idea of working a couple days in the office or a couple days from home is going to still tie people to certain parts to being near the office. They're not going to be able to do... You know, just pick up and move. But for those people who are full remote, yeah. um, You know, I think that we'll see probably an increase in the number of people who are capable of doing full remote and who do decide to do, you know, sort of what Jonathan's doing and, and traveling and being
2: wherever sort of makes sense uh, for them or where they want to be. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's also super interesting, like the, the whole like working model, right? Cause some people like, ref, like can't do the whole work from home thing or remote work because they need that like social interaction. Whereas like you're providing these spaces where everybody's kind of doing their own thing but you can still come together for like lunch. Like you still have those like random breaks throughout the day and you get those kind of like those rhythms that you would get in the office that just everybody's doing different things. And I think once people kind of start to figure that out and start to experience that, that's that's an interesting way to kind of keep people engaged and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the, the emergence of these like co-living situations that are starting to pop up around. I think that's an interesting thing to do, especially for people that, you know, you maybe just want to leave and go remote for like a month, two months, maybe three months just to get away and kind of like vacation, but not vacation um, Mm -hmm. to kind of live in that like community and kind of experience all that kind of stuff. So.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting is that, that, so one of the things is like around, around this, this kind of like interaction patterns, like in, in offices, um, one one of the folks uh, told me, it's like, what they're missing most is the ability to just like walk the hallway and literally hear what people are talking about. I mean, it's mm. like it's not that we're like uh, big ears, like um, big brothers, like we're, we're, oh, security guys. It's like they're they're doing this or that, but it's 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 really just like randomly stumbling upon like a, a project that you would never really had a chance to actually uh, engage with nat- naturally because you know what? It's like this is not like the main line of thinking, but it's like hearing this on the hallway. It's like hearing this over the water cooler or in the kitchen when you when you make yourself a coffee. It's like suddenly you you, you pick up on that, and it's like you can really. Uh, use this kind of opportunity to uh, uh to improve the overall security posture of that particular mm-hmm. new project and maybe even save the company a lot of money is like on the way of doing so so it's like that's obviously a lot harder in like in like um those kind of like fully remote uh, well, operations and that's why I, well that's why i'm convinced it's like the 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 hybrid model it's like we sometimes come in sometimes don't it's like where you're Figure out it's like if you really have some want, want, want some focus times like why not do that uh, from home because uh, assuming that you have a home that uh, that allows that obviously <laughs> um, but or the other way around right it's like but it's like really make sure that um, that those kind of uh, um, uh, that you have the maximum amount of flexibility I think it's going to be beneficial for for any kind of knowledge worker across the board. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think there were two things I noticed when I was working from home that I missed. One was those the overhearing the other things that were going on and being able to weigh in and sort of um, help and be you know help things to be just a little bit faster, a little more productive um, by you know like pointing out like, hey, that's not going to be a great idea like from a security or, or whatever. And so rather than then going down this bad path and then having to unwind it and so on and so forth. The other thing. Uh, was the sort of rubber duck conversation. Like, I don't, and I think you can still get this in in a co-working space where you just need someone else to bounce ideas off of. They don't necessarily need like all of the knowledge and all of the experience, and they don't necessarily even need to be someone on your team or whatever. But I think that that's another one that I was definitely missing. Like, you know, I, my, um, my 13 year old can only help me so much, uh, when I'm as a rubber duck. Um, but, um, but you know, you can get that out of a co-working space or you can get that, um, you know, and I think coming into the office, that's been a really helpful thing is, Hey, let me just bounce this idea off of you. I, I think it's harebrained, but you tell me.
1: And that's just something that's, that's hard, hard to do. Yeah, totally. The sounding boards. Is, is, what do you think? Is that a stupid idea or is this great? Right. And then like, yeah, no. the only other whiteboards.
0: I don't know how. You know, like, somebody's gonna make a lot of money when they figure out how to do a true virtual
1: whiteboard that really works. There's so many of them in the past. It's like all the camera solutions. Say, one of the coolest one that I've seen was actually a real whiteboard. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, you had real pens, right? It's like on the tip of the pens, there was some, some, some receivers. So, so it was like the whiteboard itself had like uh, the appropriate kind of rasterization of what was going on. So it's like, as you were drawing on the whiteboard itself, it was automatically transmitting that via, I think it was USB or whatever. Uh, in, into, mm-hmm. in, into like a, in, into the screen so you could share that screen and do it, but it's, it's not the same as like everybody would have to have one of those kind of things. And they were like, I don't know, like, right?
0: Or sketchpad, iPad. I feel like your company is well positioned to come up and solve this problem and just destroy
1: destroy it. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll be working on that.
0: That's for sure. All right. Uh, let Let me know if you need any R and D. I'll come over. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I would say well. one of the. Uh the uh, cool things that I found like going down that whole thing that Mike said, where it's like, you need like that rubber duck or that sounding board. Um, One of the interesting things that's kind of counter to that is say, you're like the only person at your company that does like infrastructure, right? Like typically like I'm the subject matter expert.
0: Can you you relate to that, Jonathan?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, so I'm the subject matter expert on infrastructure at Cyberry. There's not a lot of people I can have like, super in-depth technical conversations with and one of the things i i just happened into when i was i was in bali and like some of these other places was meeting other people that did that level of stuff and so it was amazing i would say our infrastructure game like doubled like the speed of which we were doing things like doubled and improved so fast because i was able to like sit there and just bounce ideas off another guy who was the only guy at his company And talking about ways, like these different unique ways of approaching ideas, or just like these certain technologies that fill these like very niche things that you just never really thought about. Um, And so, I mean, it kind of led to like a re-architecture almost of kind of how we do our entire production stack, which we're finally like coming to like see it actually in place, um, hopefully. Um, almost just there. And so, oh, almost just there. <laughs> yeah. And so that was super powerful for me, which I think I I was missing out when I was working in the office because it was just I never had that kind of person or never had anybody that you could like really kind of have those conversations with. So.
0: And what I think is interesting is those there's communities for that, right? There's online communities, there's question boards and stuff like that, but I'm not that guy. I'm not someone who's going to post a question. Yeah. Like I'm the type of person who would much prefer to interact with a human face-to-face and in real time. Over and a I'm not the type or a drink. Right. Or, or yeah. whatever. Right. And, you know, second to that is, you know, synchronously over some sort of chat platform, but the idea of like a lot of those communities is that they're, they're asynchronous communities and, and, I, I agree with you. I think that being able to synchronously do it and with you know um, this exchange of information, I think that's a that's a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah
2: great. We, totally agree. Uh, so, oh, we had a uh, so like when I was back in the early days of Istio, right? Like very early days of Istio, which is a Kubernetes like management, routing, networking service. Like we, I was doing an upgrade and it broke in the middle, and so production like kind of goes down. And if I would have been in the office, like nobody would have been able to help me at all. But at this coworking space, I was able to call on my buddy James and be like, hey, like, you know, Istio, I know Istio, like help me figure out like where I can start to debug, you know, so it's like we can tag team this and stuff like that. And I think that was that was also super powerful is just like when you get into a bind, it's, it's very easy to kind of hopefully find people. And I think in the past, we've kind of done these things with like meetups and things like that but those always seem like a super like formal gathering. And it's like, it's all time bound and things like that. Whereas like, this is like, you're just kind of working in the same space. You know, you just bump into them. Just like, I guess, kind of like normal, non-singular focused people in a company kind of do it, right? Like engineers, you know, if you, you have multiple UI guys, like you can walk over to the other UI guy and kind of bounce ideas off. But I think as we start to get to these like super technical type roles right like we're not really looking for generalists per se anymore and some of these more nuanced things it's it's kind of super powerful so
1: yeah no i agree so, i mean the, the paranoid security dude in me it's like goes off like well it's like now you start starting to chat with the competition and they're going to get uh, our great ideas so uh um i think i think it's going to be really interesting it's like the the, the balance there between a the collaborative kind of like community uh approach versus into what a company would consider intellectual property or not, because I mean, it's like if you find a really, really cool way of setting up a particular platform or so, yeah, I do we really want to share this with like everybody and their brothers, like just because <laughs> uh, the infrastructure guys love to talk, but I guess it's like I mean, it does it does bring the overall uh, state of the art in the industry forward. So from that perspective, it yeah, obviously. It makes perfect sense. I totally agree with this.
0: Right. That's cool. I think there's the there's the security guy in me that's like, yeah, wow. we should be all supporting each other and sharing each other. And then there's the business guy that's like, hey, this is our competitive advantage, exactly. <laughs> and so should we be. <laughs> right.
2: Right. Exactly. Um, cool. Yeah, that's a so, yeah. that's a that's a weird problem, right? Because especially because like if you're thinking about it from at least the infrastructure and security wise, like you have very complicated problems that are very specific to how you've chosen to implement all of these things. And it's it's very difficult to go get help for some of that, right? Especially mm-hmm. like, you know, the typical, like checking stack overflow. It's like, yeah, everybody has a stack overflow answer, but like in the very specific way you're utilizing this that you think is a better way, like how do you go out and like ask for help right. and things like that when it's it's super powerful because you could solve the problem with other input in like 30 minutes. Is opposed to, you know, days. days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. And I think what's also interesting is like, you think like, oh, you know, uh, sharing this, you know, back to the business side of me, that's like, oh, I'm sharing this with somebody, but they don't really, they're not in the same space. There's no real competitive advantage, but, there's a very good chance that they're going to share it with someone. You know, like, oh hey, I was talking to these guys at Cyber, Area, and this is how they solve that same problem. And next, you know, they're talking to some company that's maybe very similar to us. So, um, you know, it's that whole chain. But in the long run, I think we all benefit from learning from each other. I mean, I I'm, I, I wouldn't be where I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for all the people along the way. So, information. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: kind of like it's like open source software, right? Like you're just trying to give back and like you know, make these changes and things like that. It's just that you're moving, right? Like Google open source Kubernetes, right? Which is scary considering how far ahead Google has to be for them to make the business decision to open source Kubernetes, right? Like, are they 10 years ahead and like they're just releasing these things? Or is it just the fact that they think they're doing it so much better than everybody that they don't mind kind of being only, like a month, two months ahead of what's like out in the community.
1: Or going back to the original uh, promise of open right. source software, it's like that's like by open sourcing it, even if they're only just a little bit uh, ahead of it, it's like the the contributions that they're going to be getting back from the rest of the world uh, are going to be out uh, uh, outweighing, right? and their their ability to execute on them is going to be much better than uh, what what would happen without that. So, so I, got, I can definitely see that as well, hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Especially I take the best of us fear that they're ten years ahead.
2: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, especially if you look at like the like the open source stuff is like you're expecting the community members not to make these like huge architectural lifts and things like that but they're kind of picking up the low-level stuff that just allows you to advance so much faster and so i think that's you know like some of these conversations that you would have with people it just it allows you to right. kind of like stop thinking about the minutiae and start thinking about like high level stuff, like where you're trying to go and how to get there. And so I think that's always beneficial, especially in like cybersecurity, right? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to get to is like we want to machine learning and do algorithms for all the stuff that like a human being doesn't need to spend their time on, right? Like log analysis and like detecting all these like small little signals and things like that. It's like, it used to be a human being, but like let's let the human beings figure out more advanced ways of doing things and kind of automate that other thing. Um and so by having these like conversations, you can like end those little tiny problems that are just picking at you like, very quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um I do want to be uh cognizant of your time. I um I think um uh we're sort of I'm not sure where we are. Oh we got some time left. Oh great, awesome. Um so yeah, I think um we were talking about, and hopefully, uh, maybe we can cut this out a little bit. I'll note the time. You can totally cut um, this if you want to. <laughs> what was that? You can totally cut this if you want to. It's always yeah, fine. I think we're going to. Where I fumble for five minutes? Sure. Um, so, let's see. Um, oh, that's what I wanted to talk to. I was curious. Um, so, we mentioned open source a second ago. What's your company's sort of perspective on open source and how do you feel about, you know, um, whether it's, would you consider if, you know, um, participating in, do
1: you have anything that's sort of open source already? I'm I'm sort of curious. So I would say that we're, we're obviously consuming open source quite a bit. It's like, like everybody on the planet is like who right. actually has a home or, or who has any kind of computer or whatever. So it's like... uh Open source is kind of like the reality of the, uh, the, the reality of the world. I think there's some interesting challenges about uh, as, uh, the open source supply chains. If you think about it, it's like I'm relying on some some parser that somebody wrote like 10 years ago, and it's like uh, decides now to like drop it. It's like oops. Um, so that there, uh, there can be an interesting kind of uh, um, dynamic behind that as far as open sourcing ourselves so we have open source stuff it's like we're, we're not a huge contributor to, uh, to things but we, we definitely have open sourced a bunch of things and it's like where it makes sense for us we, we, we try to give back it's like um the the kind of soft, sometimes what I'm personally thinking is is like super just me it's like some of the software that we that we are producing is uh, um, it's kind of like standard standard fare it's like there's nothing nothing like Kubernetes that comes out of it right so from that perspective it's uh, um, yeah it's like is there is there really a lot of advantage of open sourcing this or that but uh, I think we we've done a pretty f- a decent job in terms of like really giving back both. Both open source as well as um, like general concepts. So if you just think about LastPass, the idea of a password manager Mm -hmm. that's like stuff with zero knowledge is like, um, I mean, it's like being copied is the greatest form of flattery, right? So it's like, I think we have a lot of copycats that have been picking up on that idea since LastPass was one of the first ones to do this. So uh, I think the the given given back some of the ideas to how you can really improve security, for example, across, uh, across a larger Larger audience across, including like literally people that don't necessarily even know that this is a security tool. Um, mm. That is something that we're where I'm particularly proud of and where I think we've been doing quite well. Also, been uh, engaged in other activities. So I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, the National Cybersecurity Alliance with those are the guys that are doing the uh, um, October Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So, it's like driving, driving awareness around that, I think, is, is pretty important as well. I agree with that.
0: Um, I think we've always, or I've always had that challenge with open source. Um, There's plenty of projects we've thought, like, hey, yeah, we should open source this, or, or, um, but then it frequently runs into some sort of challenge at some level, and then it's, do we really want to maintain this? What's the level of overhead? Do we have the, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly. Because I think what's was really what's really not a good strategy for open sourcing is like just tossing something over the fence. Right. And then say like, oh yeah, you're we're open source. We're awesome. It's like, uh, so who's maintaining that? Pfft, it's me. I don't know. I won't. <laughs> right. So I think that's uh, that's that's not necessarily a good way of of open sourcing. I think everybody agrees on that one. But it's it's hard. It's, it's really a commitment if you actually do open source something and then then keep it keep it up and running and, and utilizable by by the by the larger industry. So um I think it's from that perspective, this is a really something that is much, much better aligned to if you're really, either a really large company who can afford it or a smaller company that has built a whole business process or a business model around uh, the maintenance of open source software in meaningful ways. And then with the, with the enterprise kind of support, et cetera, like uh, providing that. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I
0: think there is a certain, um, business model approach to it where you can decide early on that this is the way we're going to do it. Um, But yeah, uh, as a sort of as a small company coming along with something like, hey, yeah, this would be great open source tool. That's where it runs into that. Like, yeah, we just don't have the people to really make this successful. So why would we bother open sourcing it? It's actually probably only going to reflect more poorly on us that we have this thing out there that we're not maintaining and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: makes perfect sense.
2: Cool. I mean, we also also do a lot of like, I mean, I help contribute. Like we when we do like our infrastructure and stuff like that, um, we kind of make sure that we're using like the open source, like Terraform codes and like Helm charts and things like that. So that way we utilize those. And then if it doesn't quite like fit our need, um, I just do the PR to that open source repo to kind of make sure that everybody can then, you know, have those config options and things like that, just to kind of like, Push that forward so I don't have to spend time, um, which has kind of started to pay dividends as other people are committing. And then it bumps the security posture of your like Terraform code and things like that, um, especially when like the bigger companies are kind of contributing to things like that. Um, and then making sure when you find bugs, actually going to those repositories and like submitting the tickets and giving all the information they need to kind of fix those, I think is, is super important. And hopefully more people kind of do that because that kind of just, it it gives more power to the people that are actually maintaining it, um, and then you just kind of evolve faster, and it's it's less of those, like, leg-biter things, ankle-biters.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, no, definitely we support uh, giving back. I mean, if you're going to build on top open source, I think that's the contract, right, um, that you're using this stuff, and as you're, finding things uh, being able to contribute that back to the project is is really part of that that's what makes it all work and if you're not going to be giving back there's I don't know there's something kind of not right about that um we'll we'll sort of leave it there not <laughs> or at least I'll leave it there not not upset anybody um but yeah that's sort of my opinion cool
2: yeah or when cool. you do all the effort and make the pull request and then there's just no maintainers on that open source project that want to <laughs> to do anything and so you're just sitting there and then you end up making your own fork and then patching Yeah, just fork it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) what can possibly go wrong, right?
2: (laughs) Oh. Yeah, until two years later, you're down that road and you're just like, oh, we should probably like, you know, not do this and you're just so far down that path, you're like, well, we now own this. (laughs) It's
1: like, welcome to what you got to do for yourself. Yep. Yeah, no, it's like, from a security program perspective, it's like relying on existing kind of stuff and uh, not trying to reinvent the wheel um, is definitely something that I I find usually extremely appealing. And the the whole idea is like, oh, it's like, we we need to write something on our own to make it work for our own environment. It's like, maybe we should just adopt to what everybody else is doing. (laughs) There may be a reason why everybody else is doing it. I mean, I'm not always uh, someone who says like, oh, that's us just follow everybody else because, yeah, it's like if a million people are jumping off a bridge, um, yeah, right. we know where that story goes. But it's like from a from a there, there are certain patterns that develop over time and certain adoption of technologies, and let's stick to those.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between cargo culting and jumping on the latest hottest thing, which everybody else is doing, and going with like, hey, this is somewhat tried and true, and uh, adopting those. Um, yeah. I think what I mean, that's how Cyber operates. That's sort of as the VP of engineering, that's my approach to most things is yeah. like, unless it's really core to our business, let's try and take advantage of something else that's out there, whether it's SaaS or open source or whatever it is, so that we can continue to stay yes. lean and focused on our core business and what we have to do to succeed. And let's build that stuff and not build, you know, uh, an authentication system from scratch.
1: Yes. Um, that's One something in, that we want to exactly. So EDR is not our core business model right now. Right.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I think uh, this has been a great conversation. We'd love to have you uh, come back and we can talk some more.
1: Absolutely. We loved it. It was great. Cool. Definitely. Thanks for having me. It was very enjoyable. It's like a lovely afternoon. So I was like, uh, this is great. Thanks.
0: Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.